Thanks for listening to the show. Join us online at playvolutionhq.com and learn how to support the show at explorationsearlylearning.com slash support. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that early childhood nerd podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Have you, um, because I'm pretty new to the stages of block play myself, like I, it's maybe just been a couple years that I've even been familiar or aware that that was a thing. So I haven't gone back and looked, but it seems like maybe these stages would tie in pretty neatly with like Piaget's oh, yeah. stages. Of, oh, yeah. Of the Back, way children you, think. Even just a quick review of the block book that I did before we recorded tonight, mm-hmm. almost every single one of the contributors within the book had at least one or two Piaget references to their articles. Oh, yeah. Um, cause I, you know, I'm just thinking like, of course they're not going to build that abstract stuff until they are capable of abstract thought. <laughs> um, or of course it's going to be exploratory in the beginning. And... Yeah. So what do you think? I'm going to put you on the spot with a question for a second. What do you think? I'm thinking back to when I was a center director and we were preparing for our accreditation visit. And, and one of the things that we were expected to put up. Uh, were in the block area. We they wanted us to have photos of architecture, photos of buildings or structures that they could then try to emulate. And and what do you think about? So if if we're working from the assumption that you wanted to be accredited, <laughs> <laughs> we did. So this was a hoop you were choosing to jump yes, through. Yes, yes. Then we're going to use the only phrase Lisa Murphy has coined so far, which is how are you going to be as developmentally inappropriately appropriate as possible? <laughs> so in order for, for us to get a tick mark that we've passed that what phase, jump through that uh-huh. hurdle, I needed to have uh-huh. this out there, then I'm going to make it as developmentally appropriate as possible. So where do I live? What kind of structures? What are these kids seeing? Have I taken the time to drive the route, to take a bus on the route of where these kids have to go to get here on a daily basis? And how might that be reflected in the space? Mm-hmm. And I You could even put it back on the kids. You yeah. were going to bring in some pictures of where you sleep at night. I never say houses. Sure. I learned that a long time ago. Yeah. Where did you sleep tonight? Because some construction might be the car that's in the parking lot, right? Because that's where we slept tonight. So that would be valued and still be respected and honored. Um, But I think sometimes unintentionally, or sometimes intentionally, but we don't want to own it, our our classroom becomes such a reflection of our own experience and our own values and our own everything, 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 everything. Um, and, And until we reach that point when we realize that just because that's what we got doesn't mean that's what these kids are getting, it, it can be very us driven, and and I think there's room to to make sure we don't slide down that slippery slope. Yeah, and aside from my my resistance to doing anything just because it's on a checklist, that always felt to me like I they were asking me to really try and prove the value of block play with something that wasn't really part of the value of block play. Like if I if I hang these pictures in my block area, that shows that they're learning about something that I've chosen. You, you know what I mean? Like it's I think not just about being driven and exploring and building and moving through these stages like children. Well, I, and I think it was, 
and unless the buildings that were on the walls had any kind of context with the kids experience it's just it's fluff it could be a picture of, of anything mm-hmm. um, to me when I when I was still in the classroom but also was traveling um, I was working with threes fours and fives and they were always interested in where I had been so uh-huh. photographs of of structures like I'm thinking of the Golden Gate Bridge they loved bridges um, and so I would bring in photographs of that so there was more of a context due to the relationship of Miss Lisa was there uh-huh. than some kind of a me thinking that because the picture of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco is on the wall that these kids are going to become engineers and, and bridge <laughs> You know, that's a, that's a bunch of down. <laughs> right? And and I would actually probably argue, as we're just processing this right now, that photographs of things in construction would probably be more of a provocation or something of interest than a finished project. Right. I think so, too. I think that's true. Um, so another question, as we're, fin- as we're talking about those stages, why, why is it important that we think about those stages or understand those stages? Well, I, I think the the quick knee-jerk reaction to that is that if you're working with two-year-olds who this is the first time they've, you know, been exposed to these materials and you have these grandiose ideas of these kids building structures, it, it's more of just a, a disconnect between where kids are developmentally and maybe what your expectations are. If, if the catalog is showing you all of these pictures of these constructions in a block area and somebody just spent $10,000 to buy these blocks, you're thinking, my God, you better build something. Uh-huh. But they are developmentally. I mean, they're dumping things out. They're knocking things over. They're right where they need to be developmentally. So if there's a disconnect, uh-huh. um, you know, then you're back to that, just having inappropriate expectations for the age group that you're working with. Right. So if if they're in that transporting stage or even just the lining up stage or the knock, you know, knocking down blocks is part of, of block play and part of yes. the value. If you don't understand that and that stuff is what's happening, then you're going to put the blocks away or you're going to give up on the play. Right. Yes. And lose yes. all of that Perfect. value. And, and I think also what we said a few minutes ago, and you were wise to kind of have me say that uh, <laughs> prior is that, just because you're working even in a kindergarten classroom that might still have a, a well-kept block area, you, you can't make that assumption that just because a kid is five or six years old that they're going to be building these elaborate representational, you know, structures because maybe this is the first time they've had exposure to that. So you might not necessarily need some kind of a developmental assessment because you're five and, you know, building things up with a, vert- a very, very basic vertical tower or road making. Uh-huh. So being mindful of thinking there's a delay of any kind just because they're older and not building huge structures. Right. I, I just was wondering if any if 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 a typical hmm, how do I want to say this? Just it's interesting to me that 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 this idea that someone would look at someone's block play and think they need some kind of assessment or have a delay. <laughs> like I that's deeper than I had than I had gone with the question. Well, let me paint you a visual, okay? It's a, it's a very global, general, exaggerated, but just to make the point, uh-huh. if you've got a bunch of kids that have been together potentially, and even, even in pre-K, let's say these kids have grown up in this child care program, they've known each other since they were six weeks old, you've got all of these elaborate, very three-dimensional, you know, naming it, this is my space tower, and you're going to build this rocket, and you're going to bring it over here, and then you got a kid three feet away from them making a road, making a track. Uh-huh. And they're 
it's it's not that one is good or bad. It's that there's to be visually some kind of like, huh? It's like the kid. Yeah. There's, it's like the the five year old who's still drawing the humanoid, that big head with the legs sticking out. Yeah. You've got other kids drawing other stuff. It doesn't automatically indicate any kind of delay or or intervention is required. It might mean that this kid is needing some catch up time. So let's investigate where they've been and all of that before we go. Oh my God, he's not where he needs to be developmentally. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's got me thinking. Sorry. I'm in pause mode. I can tell. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> Sorry. I feel your pausing. <laughs> well, just because I'm also working now in a, in a specific, you know, a classroom that's specifically for the inclusion of children with special needs. Um, and most of the children in my classroom right now have some sort of diagnosis of a delay. And, well, uh, let me, so that's just a me. huge part of all my conversations now. But let me, let me, let me, I'm looking to see what page this is on, because all of the research with block, block play and stages of block play indicate that children with special needs will still proceed through all of the stages, potentially just at a slower rate, uh-huh. or they'll stay in the stage a little bit longer. Uh-huh. But yes, Interesting. you're still going to see it. Interesting. Um, so I'm going to ask one last question. Look at you all prepared. I know. No, they're all, they're all, but so I just want to ask, what's your absolute favorite thing to do with blocks or see children do with blocks or like, what's your favorite block story? Do you have that on the tip of your tongue? Or if you were doing a classroom now, what would you do with your block area? What would it look like? Maybe that's an easy The entire place. classroom would be nothing but blocks. They would be, <laughs> there would be nothing but blocks in the classroom. That would be nothing, fun. Nothing but <laughs> Anything additional to blocks would be added because somebody's requested or active observation has indicated that we need to put something in here for for another another reason. Uh-huh. Um, I I have seen the minute you give more space than what your adult brain thinks you need to construction what children are capable of doing and what they're interested in doing will blow your mind. <laughs> blow your mind. Both both through like both going vertically and horizontally if there's and, and, and that's what's so amazing because it's been not only my experience, but it's been what all of the research indicates. There needs to be enough time, there needs to be enough space, there needs to be enough stuff. And the biggest variable is an adult attitude towards the use of those materials. I was just thinking as you were talking, because some children, it may not be their lack of experience or exposure to blocks. It may be the adult's attitudes that they've experienced that have sort of stunted them into an earlier stage than maybe they would be. I I will share with you that I was working with some seven-year-olds, seven, eight-year-olds, and they had probably one of the most well-equipped block areas I had seen in a classroom. And they never, ever, 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 ever used them. And I asked them one time, because, right, I'm a guest, right? So I'm like, I can I can sometimes push that envelope a little bit. <laughs> and I asked this one boy, he had dark hair, he was really tall for his age. I said, y'all got a lot of blocks, and how come you don't use them? 
And he actually was able to articulate, Miss Lisa, we used to build big, big, we used to build big structures all the time, but it was always time to put it away. Oh, yes. That's the other thing. If you don't have a lot of time to know that you can get into it and your structure will be safe for a while, why bother? And safe until I decide that he was a very wise little man. Yeah. I'm like, when are you old enough to work? I want to hire you. <laughs> but it's so true. Why bother getting started if there's never enough time to finish or just when I get in that flow, which even as adults, you know, that takes a while. There's sometimes you get in the zone like right away because everything's all lined up. And there's other times it, it takes a little bit. And just when I'm finally hit that space, it's all clean up, clean up, everybody, everywhere. And you're like, Screw this! I'm not even gonna bother anymore. Right, I think and that's I can't true about a lot of play. Huh? I think that's true about a lot of play. I it is. That is not exclusive to block play. Yeah. that's in every center that that you'll yeah. that you'll. Yeah. Find. I sort of have a theory that a lot of these attention problems that we're wailing and crying about with children now that um, we create we are are the re- not the result of screens or TV or. Video games, it's the result of a generation being raised in childcare centers that had 30-minute blocks of time or 20-minute blocks of time that we pushed the kids yep. through all day long. And they just thought, well, screw it. Why and there was never time? enough time to finish. Yeah, so why, why, bother, why bother even getting started? Yeah. yeah. There's not time. And that also contributes to what I call the flitting, flitting, flitting uh, syndrome, which uh-huh. got the kid that just flits around all the time. And everybody at workshops wants to know, well, what to do with that kid who just bounces from one thing to another. I'm like, give them more freaking time and stop ringing that bell every 20 minutes. You're <laughs> yeah. training them to not stick with anything. Right. And then that, if you want to go think about Carol Dweck and stick with itness, you know, oh, ugh. And it's on every stupid school readiness checklist can, you know, can attend to a task, can focus on a task, can maintain it, whatever. Well, we just spent five years telling them not to bother. And now in the name of readiness, like we, that's why we were interrupting them so often sometimes. Okay. So whole other topic, sorry. I'll get I'll get philosophical on you Please. a little. I'll bring it down a notch a little. Okay. I'll bring it a little deeper. So a lot of times as practitioners, we say amongst each other, we say, you know, they just don't know how to play or they don't know how to they all of what we're just talking about. They never started. They're not playing. They don't know what to do. I tell them, you know, go play, go play, go play. And, and they just stand there and say, well, what do you want me to do? Or uh-huh. or, you know, there's not enough time. whatever that the response would be. And. My concern, like one of my core concerns as a practitioner, as somebody in this field, is that I'm very concerned that as adults we whine about this. Kids don't know how to go play. But I would also argue that even in an ideal environment, when I say to teachers, go teach, they look at me and they say, well, what do you want me to teach and how do you want me to teach it and how long do I have? And so it's the exact same situation. We are out there whining all the time and thinking, this is what we want and kids should be able to, and da, 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 da. but yet if I set up the space for that to happen, you'd run, you'd be in my office every 20 minutes because you don't understand what that actually looks like because you never actually got it your own self. Right, right, right. Yes. But Lisa, surely you know it's the child's responsibility to change, not That's right. my responsibility to change. Not mine at all. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. do you want to do you want some weird data? You I like data. Always is the Pope Catholic. So you're right. <laughs> so in my research based on the space that should be allotted for block play, uh-huh. um, 
Some research suggests 60 to 80 square feet for a group of 16 to 20 kids, which is roughly three to five square feet per kid. Uh Um, Cartwright says an average of 15 square feet per kid. And another researcher, Rifle, says that the space needs to be large enough for three to five children to build at the same time without any kind of limitations, right? So that's – now, but the number of blocks – that this this was where I was like, ooh, it went from, so I've got one, let's hold on, one, two, three, four different researchers. One of them says 200 blocks per child. One said 50 per child. The other one said 35 per child. Mm-hmm. And the research, so then, the, you know, the average then ends up being 95 blocks per child. Oh, that's beautiful. If it was real. It is beautiful. If that was happening, that would be beautiful. Until you look at the pictures that I took in the actual classrooms (laughs) that I went in that had, you know, maybe 20 for 20 kids. Yeah. Yeah. And and so. And that's another reason I think that teachers will shut down block play is because they start to think it becomes a sharing, quote unquote, issue. There's too many behavior problems. Right. But but it's totally because you don't have enough stuff. And as much as I. And I own my bias towards block play all day long. I, I would rather see a, a room with no blocks than, than a room with, with 20 and 25 children and yeah. screaming and sharing battles over it. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, I mean, you know, but that's all the more reason that we have a real res- responsibility to understand the value of block play, to understand the stages of block play so that we can fight for those changes that we think we need to make. If we're going to have to ask for, and that's a lot of money, blocks are expensive. If you know, and space wise, if you've got people telling you, you've got to have six different interest areas and blocks are only one of those six, then you, you've got to be and able to fight that fight. A 200 square foot spot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when I did my research, 100% of my participants responded that, that 100% said, yes, as a preschool teacher, I value block play. Uh-huh. Then, of course, with the, ga- the, the gathering of the data, it, what you ended up seeing didn't necessarily reinforce that. However, at the end of the study, one of my observations and awareness increased things was that as preschool teachers, you often inherit your space, right? So yeah. you could come to the table with a 100% belief that blocks are valuable, but you inherit this room where there's, you know, 50 blocks, a ripped up carpet, you know, one truck, 40 kids, you know what I'm saying? And so yes. the, the, the environment itself is not necessarily an accurate reflection of, of the adult's response to valuing it. So one of the takeaway questions was, if an intervention was to happen, who is the most effective, like, where does that intervention need to happen? Like, I could do a workshop all day long to teachers talking to them about the ideal number and the ideal space and the ideal, and I could link that all to the domains of developmentally appropriate practice and all of that, but at the end of the day, most people in the profession, the teachers are not the ones buying that stuff, so we wondered. the space thing, yeah. Exactly. So, So if an intervention was to actually take place, would it be more effective for that to be with the owners of programs and the directors of programs or the board of directors uh-huh. for them to see? Because, of course, they have the, they have the check writing yeah. position. Or the people so, writing the regs. Yes. Because they're going to influence the ones writing the checks. <laughs> exactly. Right. So if it, if, if, if it said that you had to have blocks, 
then that should be based on research indicating then how big that space needs to be. Uh-huh. But then now you have people who now go from being able to cram 18 kids in a 200 square foot space into now needing 750 square feet <laughs> just, just for a apartment. <laughs> How awesome would that be? No kidding. I think we should just end with that visual for everyone. <laughs> okay. Any last, any last little rah-rah for block play? I'm no, a, just do it. I'm going to, I'm going to try and get over my own. I don't want to pick this shit up. <laughs> Reaction. Well, because I, I think your first bit of homework, Lisa Murphy homework to you is to take those contact paper, matchy shape off business the off shelf. Of the shelf. Yep. Oh, and yeah, and not me crazy. but but then providing providing uh, containers or tubs or milk crates at the same time. So you know because because that chaos and anarchy and do what you want. That's that's not what we're going after. You know we used yes you're right. We used to make you match them. Now you know what if you just want to put them in the crate today you can just put them in the crate. Yeah. Boom done. Happen. Yep. Yep. All right. Well that's easy enough to do. I can tear things off shelves. Doing that my whole adult life. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much. This was a fun conversation. Well, thank you. Yeah. Not only do I always enjoy chatting with you, but it's like, you know, it's my baby project. Yeah. I mean, this is thing. I can talk about blocks every day of the week. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll do another one sometime then. Hey. Okay. Married. Married me. Yay. All right. Well, I'm going to go let my husband out of the bedroom now because he's been in there while I'm recording. Okay. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh. Hey, we need your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids' books, you buy whatever it is you buy on Amazon, you pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows, and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks.